Abby Daniels is married to Dane, and she is the foster mother of an eight-month-old son. Abby's a Texan who loves to play music, who studied history and international studies. She and her family currently live outside of Dallas. When Abby and Dane got to the point where they were ready to grow their family, they looked into a variety of ways of, um, how do you say, acquiring children and decided that they wanted to open their home to children right in their community who were in need of loving parents. Abby's interview is breathtakingly honest and beautiful as she reflects on her deep love for her son. And he is her son for however long he is her son. She also talks about how she is coping with the real possibility that she might not get to see him grow up. I know I say this about all the interviews. I know they're all my favorite, but this interview is truly fantastic. And I appreciate you taking the time to listen to Abby's very articulate reflections on this really difficult, but also really joyful course that they have chosen for their family. If you are intrigued by Abby and want to know more about their family, she blogs regularly at thefamilydaniels.wordpress.com. That's thefamilydaniels.wordpress.com. We'll also put a link to that blog on our parentingreimagined.org site. Thanks again for listening to Parenting Reimagined. This is Parenting Reimagined, a place where the conversation goes beyond what we do as parents, and we take the time to consider what parenting teaches us, how it transforms us, and what being parents means for the landscape of our inner lives. I am Sherry Walling. Well, would you just begin by saying a little bit about yourself and your family? Uh, My name is Abby, and my husband's name is Dane. Uh, We've been married six and a half years, um, and we live in the Dallas area. And um, we got our foster care license last December, and within about a week and a half, we got our first placement. So we're kind of new at this. (laughs) And um, this is our first placement, and we've had him now for about four and a half months. And how old is he? He is almost eight months old. Would you say a little bit about what made you interested in becoming a foster parent? Uh, Well, Dane and I were um, getting to the point where we were pretty excited about growing our family and um, looking at all the different ways available to do that. Um, So we, you know, we really started digging into like domestic adoption, international adoption, and then, you know, the biological children avenues (laughs) and then uh, looking into foster care. And Dane had some friends from college that had been foster parents for a number of years and they had had I think at the time they were on their fifth and sixth placements were in their house and they had also adopted out of foster care. And so um, just trying to kind of learn all we could, we went to dinner with them and just their their house was sort of sort of chaos, <laughs> but sort of um, just really, I don't want to sound cheesy, but just really like warm and they were just so passionate about it and about the need and then about the way that you can be involved in it. And um And actually, it's kind of strange. They were not, 
they did not glamorize. They made it sound really, really hard. <laughs> and for some hmm. reason that made us be like, this is kind of a real thing. They, you know, with them kind of helping us out, we could really go into it with our eyes open. And honestly, it was a lot of just their experiences and just talking to them that made us uh, want to learn more about it. And then, um, so we looked into the agency that they were with. That's kind of what we ended up doing. It was sort of a prayerful experience, you know, just deciding whether to go that way or with a different way of adoption. But, and part of what the decision was on our part, my husband is a supported missionary. So he has, his income is like by support from our friends and family and looking at $40,000 international adoption, where we would have to try to raise those funds on top of all that we're already regularly asking of people to support our family. You know, we just kind of thought we could get through the foster process, the licensing process much quicker for one thing. And then also it's essentially free. I don't know if it's the same in California, but to um, to foster and to adopt here is essentially free. So we thought, you know, we could have one of these kids that needs a home in our home a whole lot faster <laughs> and mm-hmm. a whole lot, you know, I mean, not to make it sound like it's a matter of convenience, but over the, the international process, which can be so long and so expensive. But it has its <clears throat> own risks and benefits. And one of the benefits is that it's faster and less expensive. Mm -hmm. In a way, international adoption can be risky as well, but a lot of agencies, you know, they'll kind of ensure it to where even if one adoptive placement falls through, the agency will see you through to another one. Foster care is obviously one of the biggest kind of fears and drawbacks is just that question of you never really quite know for sure which which kids you're going to be able to attach onto and keep forever and which ones you aren't. So that's kind of that unsure, um, uncertainty part is kind of difficult, but (laughs) yeah. And well, since you, since you raised that, I did want to ask you about that. You know, you are Mm -hmm. spending your days and nights with this little guy who it sounds like you are carrying everywhere and loving on and, and waking up in the middle of night for sometimes. How are you sitting with the idea that that he may only be with you for a little while. Um, Well, it's interesting. Before we got our license, I would kind of talk about, and we would talk about just the idea of that attachment. Like, how do you, how do you care for these kids and love them, but not get attached to them to where if you do end up not being, if they do end up going back home, it's not too traumatic on you and it's not too traumatic on them. And I remember talking about that idea of just kind of like, how do you make sure that there's sort of an underlying understanding with these kids that this might not be permanent so that it's not too traumatic? And, you know, people at my church or whatever would be like, oh, yeah, that's hard. And the people that um, I knew that had been doing foster care for a long time would just sort of look at me with this blank look. And it was like, once we finally got him it just, the whole idea of not getting too attached was all of a sudden absurd. (laughs) And I realized that, you know, my foster care friends knew this and they were like, what are you talking about? You know, not get too attached. Like, I think the deal is you just do, you just get super duper attached to these kids. And once I had this baby in my arms, I was like, there's no holding him at arm's length. You know, the best thing for this kid is to give him as much love as possible. And if that separation is difficult, that separation is going to be difficult. But like he deserves to be completely loved while he's in my house. And so there's no guarding and holding back. I think that's cheating the child. And I mean, there are cases where if you have an eight-year-old 
and they're visiting their mom every week or whatever, you're obviously not calling yourself mom and pretending like you're going to be around forever, you know, and there's a way to keep, keep that clarity of the relationship with an older child. Um, and, you know, I think that that would be a very difficult line to walk, but so far we've just had this baby and to me, there's no, <laughs> there's no putting up walls and guarding again. It's going to hurt if he goes away and that's the way it is. But I think a much worse thing would be to look back on the time that I've had with him and think, man, I could have loved him more. You know, I could have given him more. I think that would be a lot harder. <clears throat> I don't know if that answered your question. <laughs> no, it does. Like beautifully. But, um, I, I think, um, there aren't really like degrees of parenting either you're a parent or you're not a parent and you kind of have this title of foster parent but but really you're you're this boy's mother for right, as, right. As, as long as you are what have you enjoyed most about mm-hmm. mothering what have I enjoyed most about mothering um I've never you know I've never mothered a different baby so I don't know if this is just all babies or if this is this baby but when he first came to us he was sort of just really kind of unsure about a lot of things he would you know he would get frightened if you weren't there and he would he didn't really cry when he was hungry he would just go to sleep and he just had this sort of walled off you know sort of defensive way about him and it just was almost like you could watch him sort of unfolding as he was in our house and I think that's been the most fun for me with you know with this little bitty age is just like watching him sort of learn to have confidence like now he's not if he's hungry he's kind of hungry and he'll kind of tell me but he's not afraid for his life you know what I mean he's got this security and this confidence and this comfort level that's just so much fun and I feel like you know every time that we just like cover him with kisses and you know and and give him everything that he needs and kind of put him, you know, in his comfy bed with his warm blankets. Um, I feel like every time, everything that we're doing is so gratifying because I can just see him becoming this confident little person. It's not, you know, just kind of afraid of the world anymore. And that's really, really fun to watch. It's like you're watching him heal right in front of you. Yeah. And, you know, and like I say, I've never had a baby before, so I don't know if it's healing or just growing. I mean, maybe that's what everyone does with their babies, you know, is just kind of teach them how to be people that are confident of their place in the world and, you know, and how to kind of self-soothe, you know, and just kind of figure out that they're not going to (laughs) die at every minute of the day. Um, You teach a a baby that they're going to be okay. And so that's just been a really fun thing to watch him become this really joyful and really calm, relaxed little guy. It's really fun. Do you know much about, about his life before he came into your family? We know a little bit. And that's kind of an interesting thing. Our friends that have been fostering before us, they've always said, uh, they said, you know, a kid's story is is their story. And especially if there's a chance of adoption of a kid, they tend to not tell anyone. They're like, you know, we don't want this kid to, if they end up being adopted, to grow up and be in our church and be walking up to random people who know, you know, exactly what happened to their mom and dad and everything before they even do or before they're able to decide who they want to share that with. And so we we share kind of the details of his story with very few people, actually, Mm. just because you know on the chance that for his privacy for one thing I think it's respectful but also if he sticks around I don't want him hitting adolescence and having all of his classmates know you know his background 
before he's yeah. able to decide who, you know what I mean? So, and maybe that's a little bit overcautious, but I think it's better to be overcautious. So. Absolutely. <laughs> you can always say more later when you, <laughs> when it feels better to you. Sure. If you need to. What's been hardest about the process so far? Honestly, we got an exceptional placement. All of our friends are just so jealous. <laughs> he sleeps through the night. He's um, just happy and smiley and chatty. He's just the sweetest baby I've ever met in my life. But I think one of the hardest things, I actually wrote a little blog post about this, was, you know, sometimes you kind of, you just find yourself doing these really motherly things that probably every mother does. It's as natural as the patting on the back and the rocking back and forth. And sometimes I'll just say stuff like, you know, hey, every time you cry, I'll come. Like, you don't have to worry and you don't have to freak out like your life is going to end. If you cry, I'll come every single time. And I would be kind of saying things like this to him. And then I would say, well, <laughs> as long as I can, you know, every time you cry, I'll come until possibly the time when you're not with me anymore. And that kind of thing is that kind of thing is a little bit tough. And obviously he can't understand me yet, but just promises that I'd like to make to him about that he's going to be safer, that he's going to be cared for, that I can't really know uh, much in the future, for sure, if I can actually say those things. Um, so that kind of thing is is tough about it. But I do tend to much more just be grateful that I have him at all. You know, right now, at all, is better than not having ever had him at all. And then another thing that is difficult, I think, is sort of being considered by a lot of people as a different type of parent than, you know, what you would consider a traditional mother. And obviously it is a very different situation. I think in some people's eyes, it's not quite mom, but in my eyes, it pretty much is. <laughs> mm. So just kind of being considered, I think, by some people as not really, you know, they'll say, okay, you've taken care of a baby, but you don't really know what it's like to be a mom, you know, which might be true. I don't know. But that's Has anyone thing. said that to you? No, I mean, no, and nobody would say that, but there's still is, you know, just sometimes I feel like there's a sense, not quite the same for me as it is for most of my peers, you know, which is true. That's absolutely true. And it's not the same for any two people. It's just kind of a def definitely a different situation than a lot of the ways that my friends have gone about having their families. And so sometimes that's a little bit hard. Sometimes it's just kind of exciting. I like being somebody that has done things a little bit differently. But yeah, sometimes that's tough. It sounds like it's been important to have at least one other family who has had similar experiences, but it sounds like you have a couple of other families that you know that have become parents this way. We actually have our friends that I was talking about that have been doing it the longest um, that I know of. They started a thing called Foster Friday. <laughs> And most weeks, once a week, we get together with, um, and it's not all foster parents, it's some adoptive parents as well, like international adoptive parents, um, and some people that are just kind of curious about the process, but we get together and it's chaos and it's a dozen kids running around, but it's super fun. And it's just kind of a group of people that might be from any different type of situation, but we all have this one extremely specific and extremely important thing in common that we're able to share that experience and talk about, you know, how to navigate Medicaid, even the really, the really literal stuff, but also just sort of the emotions that go through it. And it's really important for us to have, you know, when you say we have a hearing, 
there's a whole group of people that know all that that means, you know, whereas a lot of my other friends kind of know that's a big deal, but they don't know exactly what it feels like. So yeah, that's been a really good thing to have that group to kind of support. Do you have any words of advice or, or I guess thoughts for people who may be thinking about becoming foster parents? We first kind of started talking about it. I had a lot of really wrong ideas just about the process itself. Um, you know, I think a lot of people picture, I know this is a terrible thing to say, but my friend, um, the people that are kind of mentoring us in this, she said one time, she was like, people think that all foster kids are just a bunch of carpet burners. <laughs> and like people have this picture that kids in foster care are there because they are delinquent or because they are, you know, from these horrific backgrounds to where they're never going to be like able to be disciplined. And, you know, I think there's this picture of these sort of like this chaotic situation. I also think that a lot of people picture it as being a situation where once you get licensed as a foster parent, they could come to your door with like three 17 year olds, you know, or whatever. But actually there's a lot more kind of control over the situation. Like we, having never parented before, we felt like maybe we should start with younger kids as most people do. So we were able to say like, we really only for our first placement, we would like to consider you know, children under the age of seven is actually what we said. And, you know, people will say we only want babies. People will say we only want girls. Like you actually can kind of, if, if there's something that you're more confident with than a different sort of demographic of kids, you, you can actually say that. It's not like you just open yourself wide up for anything. You know, another part of it, I, I think a lot of people, I hear this literally multiple times a week, someone will say, oh, I could never do that. That would be way too hard. Um, and that's, I think that honestly, when people think about doing foster care, that's the, the thing that they turn off first is just because they think, oh, that would be too hard to like care for a kid and then give them up. I guess, I, I don't know how to sort of advise about that. I think it is hard. I haven't given a kid up yet, obviously, but my friends that have have talked a lot about it. And it is hard, but I just, at this point, I cannot imagine any situation that would make this four months that we've had with this little boy, there's no situation that would outweigh that. That would be hard enough to where I would wish that it had never happened. There's no situation I can imagine that would be bad enough to make me wish that I had never done this. I guess I would just say, like, you know, people can focus on that that point at which you're going to have to, quote, give a kid up. But what about all the time before that? <laughs> you know, the time with these precious little human beings who are so sweet and so just incredible. Even the ones that are kind of a little bit more challenging, I guess you could say. Our friends have a placement that's quite challenging. These kids that have come from this situation with so many sort of like wounds, I guess. I know that's sort of a dramatic word. Kids that have come from a really troubling situation and that are just hungry and thirsty for consistency and for love and for, you know, somebody that looks at them right in the eyes and values them for who they are. And I mean, that as a parent figure is so gratifying to be able to fill that up in a kid that is so empty of it. And, you know, everyone I know that has done this and has 
given a child up, they, I mean, I don't think that they would trade it for the world. So I guess that's kind of what I would say. I think people are really scared of that experience of having to give a kid up. I don't know, inherent in that is sort of an irony that (laughs) obviously if there wasn't such a wonderful relationship to be had with the child, if that wasn't such a wonderful thing, then giving them up wouldn't be so hard. So I don't even know if that makes sense. I think it makes perfect sense. It's it, only hard because because the having of it is so good. Right. And it, I've, I've found myself quoting, I know it's really cheesy, I think it's Shakespeare or somebody, tis better to have loved and lost or whatever. I know that's super cheesy, but it's also a cliche for a reason because it's better to have had this incredible rich relationship, even if it has to end, than to have never had it at all, you know? What has being a foster mother taught you about yourself? Well, I think sort of me and my husband, um, I think we knew this about ourselves, but we've definitely figured out I am an extremely practical person. Like, I don't want to count any chickens before, you know. And my husband is extremely optimistic and very sort of romantic. And he's the one that will just scoop up the baby and be like, can we keep them? I want to keep them. And I'm like, dang, we can't talk that way. you know. And I'm trying to sit here and not put too much of my hope into something until I really know what's going to happen and just try to take it one step at a time, you know, and not borrow any anything from the future that we don't know about. So that's kind of been fun for Dane and I to discover that about each other on a totally different level. You know, we're able to kind of identify how that's different in each of us. And I love the part of him that allows me to just really kind of be hopeful sometimes and that draws me into having fun maybe dreaming about the future, you know, where I would usually slam that door on myself. And I think that hopefully I try to keep him a little bit grounded in reality. So it's kind of been good for us to learn how to complement each other in that way. But I have figured out that I'm a very sort of logical (laughs) person. I figured out, I think a lot of this process for me at least, has depended on being very disciplined in my mind. And when something, when there's a train of thought that goes off into, you know, well, what if this happens? And what if that happens? And what if he goes back to this situation? And then he would grow up like this and then da da da. And you can just spiral into this worry that's just not constructive. And it doesn't, it's not going to help change the outcome in any positive way. And it is going to tear, it is going to kind of wear me down. And so I've learned about myself just how to kind of discipline my thoughts into ones that are productive and close the door on ones that are just worry and stress that aren't helping anything. And I think that I'm kind of working my way through how to do that and just enjoy, enjoy the time with the little dude while we have it. That sounds like a really valuable discipline (laughs) (laughs) for for many situations, but especially this one. Some of the parents that I've talked with for this project have talked about how their view of God has changed as they've become parents. And I wanted to ask you, has your view of God or your sense of faith changed as you've become a mother? I think with this situation, one of the biggest lessons of faith that I have learned is just, you know, there's so many situations where we have a false sense of control over something. And you, I guess we sort of know that we really don't control it, but we still try to control it. 
And basically in the foster care system, and again, I don't know if it's the same in every state, but in Texas, the foster parent has no power over anything whatsoever. (laughs) We have no voice in court. We have no voice with anyone. And so really you're just loving on the kid and hoping for the best. And you can't, you know, there's no amount of work or striving that I can do to change any outcome. And so it really is like just the most pure and simple example of something that is utterly out of my control. And so I just have to kind of love the kid as much as I possibly can, try to prepare him for the future, whether that future is with us or not, the best that I can, and just kind of throw my hands up as far as the rest of it and not try to cling on to something that I really can't control at all. And I think, you know, I've talked a lot with my friends that have either biological or, you know, permanently adopted children. And honestly, I think that that sort of is a parent, a universal parent thing, you know, that you really are not going to be able to control your child's future, no matter what kind of parent you are. And so Hmm. there's just sort of a a sense of I've got to do the best that I can right now. I need to fill this kid up with as much solid, you know, teaching and as much truth as I can now and um, build up their sense of worth as much as I can now. And then at, at some point, whether that's in six months or whether that's in 19 years, they're going to be off in the world without me there. You just kind of can't hold on to it too tight because it's not going to do anybody any good. It's just going to drive you crazy. But I think that's kind of the biggest faith lesson is this is one thing that I have literally zero control over. (laughs) And so it's just this utter surrender of the outcome of it, which is actually to me kind of freeing and actually a lot more peaceful than things that I could try and work at. Well, what are you hoping that your son carries with him from his time in your house no matter how long that is, whether, as you say, six months or 18 years, what do you what do you really want him to take away from his time with you? I kind of have this fixation with people honoring each other. I believe in honoring children just like they should honor parents. I actually believe that children should be honored. Um, and I really hope that, you know, if this kid, even if he doesn't have conscious memories of us, if he leaves us before he's really able to have those memories, I just hope that having been treated with dignity and with honor for six months or a year or whatever it is of his life, that he might be able to take that capacity with him into, you know, sometimes sort of a, a part of the world that people don't really necessarily honor each other as much as they might and I just sort of wonder and you learn a lot about we've been learning a lot about you know attachment and all these different things that happen with with infants from birth the different things that you do that can teach them how to connect with other people even before you're teaching them anything verbally and so I just hope you know with this process with my husband and myself just like pouring love into this kid. I hope that even if he grows up somewhere totally differently, that he will have an ability to empathize with other people, to, you know, value other people and to honor other people in a way that will make him have more more healthy relationships. I don't I don't know if that's realistic, but that's kind of what I hope for him at this point as an infant. I guess really the same thing even if he grows up in this house, just that he would be somebody that that honors people, everyone, whether they sort of seem like they deserve it or not. Yeah. 
That's the end of my, you know, my list of questions. Mm-hmm. Is there, is there anything else that you want to say or want, want a minute to talk about? We, we went to an expo when we were first kind of looking into this process. They had a panel of foster and adoptive parents to answer questions for people that were just sort of beginning to look into the process. One of the people in the crowd asked this foster family, they said, well, you know, isn't it hard to give them up, you know, when you have to send them back home? This foster dad said, honestly, sometimes it's not. (laughs) He said, sometimes there are placements that you get that you love, you know, you love the heck out of them, but you're kind of like, whoo, when they finally go back to their parents. But he said, honestly, most of the time it is hard, but you know what? We're grownups. He said, we've spent our whole lives learning how to deal with things that are hard. We have coping mechanisms. We have friends. We have, you know, we know when we can go take a walk or when we can, you know, have a nice meal or when we can take a nap or whatever we need to do to deal with hard things. And he said, we're adults. We can handle hard things. There is such a need. There's such a need for these kids to have a loving home. His thing was, you deal with it. This is a worthy thing. And yes, it's hard. It needs to be done. And it's actually such a rewarding thing as well. And, and you know, you can find a way to kind of get through it. I think to me, that was kind of like, oh, that's kind of harsh. But it's also really true. You know, like, we can handle this. It's like a really wise way to say suck it up (laughs) it's gonna be hard so so deal in a in a way kind of it was and at the time I was like that's kind of harsh but I really like it because I mean that really is something that we hear so often like oh that would just be so hard and I'm like well I don't remember when we decided it was a good thing to shrink from hard things you know (laughs) I think you were saying earlier that's typically the most rewarding things are also the hard things well, Abby, I have so enjoyed this conversation. Me and too. I I mean, I I talk with a lot of parents, lots of different kinds of parents, and you know, when I'm not doing the podcast, I'm a psychologist. And I I'm just like so overwhelmed by your your articulation of of your experience. This is a really neat interview. I, I hope it really encourages people. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to this episode of Parenting Reimagined. If you like what you heard, visit our website, parentingreimagined.org, and sign up for our mailing list. You can also like us on Facebook. Thanks for taking the time to be part of this community of parents who's committed to learning the deeper lessons of parenting.